Let us pray. We seek you in your word, O God, as though we are searching for water in a dry and weary land. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may this word be to us a rich feast, satisfying the soul. Then with our mouths may we praise you, and with our lives we will bless you, our host and our hope. Amen. Our first reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food, and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful loyalty to David. Look, I made him a witness to the peoples, a prince and commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Seek the Lord, and when he can still be found, call him while he is yet near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that they may have mercy, he may have mercy on them, to our God, because he is generous with forgiveness. My plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. Our second reading is Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. God, my God, it's you. I search for you. My whole being thirsts for you. My body desires you in a dry and tired land. No water anywhere. Yes, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and your glory. My lips praise you because your faithful love is better than life itself. So I will bless you as long as I'm alive. I will lift up my hands in your name. I'm fully satisfied with a rich dinner. My mouth speaks praise with joy on my lips. Whenever I ponder you on my bed, whenever I meditate on you in the middle of the night, because you have been a help to me, and I shout for joy in the protection of your wings. My whole being clings to you. Your strong hand upholds me. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. This is a warning for the wilderness generation. Paul is speaking. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. However, God was unhappy with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things are examples for us, so we won't crave evil like they did. 
Don't worship false gods like some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to play. Let's not practice sexual immorality like some of them did, and 23,000 died in one day. Let's not test Christ like some of them did and were killed by snakes. Let's not grumble like some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples and were written as a warning to us who think, to us, to, let's try that again. These things happened to them as an example and were written as a warning for us to whom the end of time has come. So those who think they are standing need to watch out or else they may fall. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Paul is the author of over a dozen books in the Bible, including this one. And I have to admit, I'm not sure why I picked that scripture of the scriptures available today to, to preach from. There's just really a lot going on there. And Paul is jumping back and forth between now and the Old Testament, between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And he's retelling the Exodus story through the eyes of Jesus. His audience were the new Christians in Corinth. And I have to admit that this text, again, it's confusing and it makes use of lots of symbolism. So armed with that information, let's review the Exodus story, seeing how it's Passover time and Easter time. And of course, this story would have been familiar to these new Christians, many of whom were Jews. The Old Testament prophet Moses was chosen by God to lead Israel out of Egypt, where the Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years. Moses created Israel's nationhood and delivered the Ten Commandments. Moses was born at the time when Pharaoh had ordered that all firstborn sons be killed. This was 1392 BC. Understandably, the mother of Moses was desperate to keep him alive. So she sent her daughter Miriam down to the Nile River, carrying the infant Moses in a basket. Miriam sent the basket down in the river knowing that Pharaoh's daughter and her band of maidens went down to the Nile to bathe. Of course, when Pharaoh's daughter and the maidens saw the basket floating along the reeds, they were curious. The princess sent her handmaid out to retrieve it. They discovered inside the basket a crying boy child, and from that moment forward, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, raised Moses in the palace as her own. And just as an aside, when things get really tough, Remember that Moses was once a basket case. So it sounds like the guiding hand of God was steering things along. The mother of Moses needed a way to keep her newly born son alive, and so she found a way to do that. She needed help with her plan. She most likely prayed about it, 
Perhaps she talked to her best friend. Maybe she talked to her husband. At least she spoke to her daughter Miriam and gave the young girl instructions. But whatever happened, we know that the mother of Moses could not make this happen alone. So time passed, Moses grew up, and he goes from being a prince in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt to keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. As the story of his life progresses, Moses went from being a shepherd of sheep to being a shepherd of people. And honestly, I had never considered what type of people the fleeing Israelites of the Exodus were. I honestly thought that they were going to be well-behaved, God-fearing, and loving people. I really believed that. But in reality, after Moses had that burning bush experience, he found himself the leader of an undisciplined collection of slaves, a mixed multitude, both Hebrew and non-Hebrew. It is possible there had been mingling between the paid soldiers, the mercenaries, and the Israelite women. Whoever these people were, they were all following Moses, and altogether they had the goal of escaping Egypt toward freedom. Or, as the Encyclopedia of World Biography so aptly states, with the help of his brother Aaron, Moses was able to hold together his ragtag band of ex-slaves for 40 years. Only a man with tremendous will, patience, compassion, humility, and a great faith could have forged the bickering and scheming groups who constantly challenged his wisdom and authority into a nation. It almost seems like Moses was in over his head. And I wonder if Moses was tempted to say, forget this, I'm going back to my less stressful and more predictable life as a sheep herder. But of course, that was not an option. And we all know how the story ends, so Moses did not back out. Instead, he rose to the occasion. He rose to the test. The Greek word for temptation can also mean testing. As this morning's scripture says, but God is faithful. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. This is one of those scriptures that we hear differently or want to hear differently than how it was written or what it was really meant to be. You see, just like when we talked about the Ten Commandments last fall, when we hear the word you, we take that to mean just ourselves as an individual. And particularly, as Americans, we do this. We are a very independent lot. But Paul was not speaking about the you as in each of us as a single, solitary unit of one but the collective you of the community as a unified body of Christ. So how was God with Moses and this community of ex-slaves as they left Egypt and wandered for 40 years in the barren desert? In what ways did God give Moses and the Israelite community a way out? How did God help them all endure the ordeal of being stuck in the situation they were now in? And perhaps this isn't such a different situation 
than what's going on right now in Europe with Ukrainians. As those people seek safety and basic needs as they enter Poland and beyond. Or as we as the world hold our collective breath to see what is going to happen next. We must remember that God is always there with us and helps us to get through anything. In God's amazing and miraculous ways, God gave Moses and the Israelites a cloud to follow by day and a pillar of fire to follow by night. This not only allowed them to travel in the daylight, it also allowed them to travel in the darkness. And I bet not only did that pillar of fire give them light, but it likely was reassuring to them of God's presence. And that pillar was real, it wasn't just a symbol. And we don't know how God created the, the pillar, but God did it. It was an inexplicable, inexplicable event that God used to help lead these people in the wilderness. Even with the many miracles that happened along the way, including Moses following God's command of raising his staff over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parting so that the Israelites could go through, and then when they had gone through, the waters crashed back down, drowning many of the Egyptians, many of those that were in pursuit of the Israelites. When food supplies ran out and the people were hungry, God sent down manna each day to feed and nourish them. When the people were in need of water, God told Moses to speak to a rock, and water would and did spring forth from it. And yet, the people still complained. They complained about the food, about the climate. They complained about the slowness of their progress. Moses even had to hear them complain that it would have been better to stay as slaves in Egypt than to be out there in the desert wandering. Not only were the disgruntled Israelites tempted to not trust Moses and God, but they went ahead and acted on those temptations. They made and worshiped false gods like the golden calf, and by practicing sexual immorality, or as Paul says, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to play. Paul warns the new Christians of Corneth about temptations they were facing. Some of them had been eating meat that had been offered to idols. And they were confident they would be okay doing that since they had been baptized and were now one with Christ. Just like our ancestors wandering in the desert wilderness, having witnessed miracles and receiving special attention from God, including events that saved their lives, and yet, their privileged position in no way assured them of automatic protection or being immune to being struck down when their behavior warranted it. Wouldn't it have been great if they recognized their own tests and temptations? And if instead of acting on those temptations, they would have stopped for a moment, prayed, and with the help of God, made a different choice. Whatever each and every one of us is tempted by, whatever we are struggling with, we know that through the ages, God has always been there, just like God was there for Moses and the Israelites. Paul cautions, 
These things were examples for us so we won't crave evil as they did. Of course, the Israelites, the people at Corinth, and ourselves are all human, mere flesh and blood. We are tempted and tested every and each day, and we often fail. The truth is we cannot do this alone. We need God's help. We need to pray. We need to support and help one another as loving siblings in Christ. During this third week of Lent, and in fact, during all of Lent, we have the opportunity to re-examine ourselves. Let's take time to reflect, to ask for forgiveness, and to prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We know God is faithful. God won't allow you or me or us to be tested beyond our abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God also supplies a way out so that we can endure the situation. That doesn't always mean that the way out will be easy. As Professor Smith wrote, Shiverly Smith, though we are diverse in settings, ethnicities, backgrounds, genders, and experiences, Paul reminds us that God is faithful to us as one body. We should be faithful to one another as God is faithful to us. We should be willing to walk with one another through these testing periods. It is how we embody that communal journey, journey, journey in a way that provides health and wholeness for all and at the same time honors God and the ancestors of our corporate faith in respective communities. Let us journey through testing and journey into faithfulness. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 